0: When the moon is high. The shadows dance evil, evil rise. The world between the living and the dead is dead. So now at the time to let the horror you know again. Hey guys, welcome back to the Horror You Know podcast this week. I'm Darren. I'm Trent. And we're kind of missing a few other people, so we're going to helmet just the two of us.
1: I know, and it's the time to be getting together. It's Christmas time. It is. But yet here we are, alone.
0: Yeah. Uh, Ian Ian, Ian, they're both gone. One's tired and the other one's out of town. So we're just doing this alone, but we'll pull through. So So we miss you guys. We do. Not so much, but we kind of miss you guys. (laughs) All right, so this week... uh, we had we had some really good news this week. It's it's Christmas time coming up. We're taping this actually in November, but it's Christmas time coming up and you know there's joy starting I could feel it. Do you feel the joy?
1: I feel it. If anyone listened to us last week, they know that we've got eggnog down here with us tonight. We've got Christmas cookies. It's like there's a nice roaring fire in means's corner here. <laughs> Roaring fire. A.K.A. his little heater he brought down to his his little f- oil heater freezing basement. So, yeah, I'm in the mood, man. I'm in the spirit.
0: I've had a couple of whiskey sours. He's drinking his eggnog yak stuff over there. I don't know what that is. <laughs> eggnog
1: some, and whiskey. We have some really cool cookies, sugar
0: cookies he made. Uh, that are pretty... Pretty... Pretty shabby. <laughs> pretty, pretty cool, I'll just say. <laughs> uh, you'll see some pictures of them, I'm sure. Anyway... Uh, yeah. I mean, like we talked about traditions and on holidays and stuff. One of my favorite traditions was opening my first present, uh, the night before Christmas. So I don't know if you guys do that as a, as a tradition.
1: Not so much anymore. I used to when I was little, I think, um, when I went to my dad's, um, of course we would have Christmas usually on a day that wasn't Christmas, Christmas Eve or whatever. But like he would, I remember we'd stay the night and he'd usually, whatever night it was, would let us open one the night before. And so, yeah. Feel like that's a pretty common tradition so, for a lot of people. Usually,
0: so you have a you have a, a young daughter right now. She's she's
1: one going to gonna be two in a couple months. Yeah.
0: So so what traditions are you going to try to make for her? Because I mean, this Gosh. is this is time to start thinking about this. I, I know. know
1: that's a good question. Are you I'm doing the Elf sure. on the Shelf? We are not yet. I guess that's probably something we. I guess we'll do that when she gets a little older. She understand can't understand it. it yet. No, I'm sure. I don't know. I'm the type of guy that likes to steer away from cliche and and stuff that a lot of people do. But well, the Elf on I the usually, Shelf wasn't
0: around when I had my first two daughters, but my youngest daughter, she has her little Elf on the Shelf. She see, still looks forward to that, even though.
1: I could see like I could see liking doing that just because I see all these goofy ones that people do online of like scenarios they put them in. So I think I could probably have some fun with that. I think you'll have a lot
0: of fun. I it, it, I loved it the first couple of years, and then it ooh, It's hard to come exhausting. up with new stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's very exhausting. <laughs> but I like the uh, I definitely like the uh, tradition of opening presents first. And I'm going to go back way back in the time machine, and I'm going to talk about. One Christmas in particular.
1: Okay.
0: uh, My mom and dad always let me open one up the night before, and they would try to give us one that was not the smallest gift, but definitely not your big gift, right? Right. And somehow, I don't know what happened this year, but like my big gift that I wanted was a Either a Spider-Man or a Superman. So you're talking about nice. Marvel and DC.
1: Like an action figure. Doll.
0: It was it was an action figure, but it was one that it was like 12 inches tall. They were plastic. They didn't move very much, but they had these like grappling hooks that you could put on these lines and make them like fly through the air. And that right? sounds awesome. And it was really cool. I mean, it, it sounded awesome until you really got it. It was a 1970s toy. It was like a bag back of, then. It it's like a bag was. of glass, you know. <laughs> it's a bag of glass. <laughs> bag of glass. But anyway, yeah, I, I was wanting that toy really bad. And apparently my dad had rewrapped a bunch of presents because he'd gotten my mom something uh, and he didn't want her to know he got it. So he somehow came home and rewrapped some presents. <laughs> so my my uh, my mom gave me this present she thought was a mediocre toy. Come to find out it ended what up being big the big, big one. And I opened that up. She was pissed. You're probably like, "Oh, this is yeah. my mediocre." I can't wait to see what yeah, you got in in tomorrow. In my mind, I was like, "Oh
1: my gosh, <laughs> I got Superman!"
0: <laughs> and then, like the next day, it was like socks and <laughs> you know, Spider Man T-shirts. The like, worst cool, Christmas but, you've ever man. had. So it it was awesome, but uh, I don't know. Is I I love Christmas. I cannot. I, uh, I I can't say I can't stand those people that don't like Christmas because I like in. But Ian does well, not like
1: Christmas, and I—I I just, I think he. I mean, I get where he comes from, and that there's. I mean, we talked about it on the last episode. I, I do think there is a time to celebrate Christmas, and I don't think it's the minute Halloween ends, which is what's kind of common nowadays. Yeah, I do think we should have a little breathing room, a little time to celebrate Thanksgiving, and then dive into Christmas. But yeah, I'm yeah. kind of. I'm probably like with you. I'm kind of in the middle. I'm not like one of those overly like got to throw the tree up November 1st type well, I mean, guy. But at the same time, I do like watching Christmas movies. I like going out and shopping still. I know everyone orders yeah. presents online now. I yeah. actually still like going out in the hustle and bustle, going in the department stores. I hate, It's weird. I hate shopping for people because I'm a bad shopper. Like I want you to tell me what you want. Make a list or some ideas. I'll go get them for you. But don't leave it up to me because I will just walk around a department store and f- leave empty handed after like a half an hour because wow. I can't. Because you're trying to think of the perfect yeah. gift for that person. And I, so, I hate it.
0: I hate it so but much. But that's kind of. Okay, so I'm the opposite. I don't want people to tell me what they well, want. Well, then you're obviously a good gift giver. And I, I'm yeah. not. Well, I don't know if I'm a good gift giver. <laughs> I just, I give gifts. And, I love giving gifts. That's tell, my
1: favorite part of Christmas.
0: I know. And I, I, I kind of like, and this is something that goes back to like, because I love watching Christmas movies. I love Christmas yep. specials. And one of my favorite uh, comedians of all times, Robin Williams. And I used to watch I Mork did. and Mindy. Yeah. <laughs> Rest in peace, brother. But uh, I loved watching Mork and Mindy. And there was this one time they were, Mindy was, and her dad, the bald-headed guy, I don't remember what his name was, but he uh, they were trying to explain to Mork um, what Christmas meant. Mm-hmm and cuz he he saw all of this stuff and even way back in the 70s you know it was all about mass consumerism and they explained it to him and he got it to where it was like it's about the 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 giving it's about giving not just a gift but your heart giving yeah, something yeah. of you to them so like i really took that to heart as i got older and i loved the christmases where i could talk my family into like making something or you know trying to think of something that that person really liked without getting a list mm-hmm. so i'm i'm big into that i it's kind of funny that robin williams like made a piano out of chewing gum in that episode and that was one of his gifts and i laugh every time i think about that but that's that's really from the heart he knew that person liked piano and classical music and he knew he could make a sculpture and he made a sculpture out of used gum
1: and i do think that uh, homemade gifts are the best gifts you could probably give to someone just because of what you said coming from the heart and the fact that they're unique. It's not like you can just go out and buy this for anyone yeah. kind of thing. And, you know, I usually try and do that because I do think that's a good alternative. Obviously, I just said I hate going out and looking in stores sometimes to find the perfect gift. But I do try and like I know uh, my wife now, I've been with her for several years and I usually try and make her a gift every christmas i don't know that i have every single christmas but i do try to and yeah i agree those are always the the special ones the one you give last usually yeah. kind of you know so it's fun well, I,
0: I mean it's easier for me and you to do it because we're both like creative and kind of artists in our own right right, right. so it's like it's easier for us to. but do you that.
1: don't have to be let's know and that's
0: what i always tell people because i always bring this up why don't we make gifts this year my i can never get my family into <laughs> that because they're like well i can't do that And I'm like, just whatever, you write me a song or something, write me a poem, you know, like just talk, you know, do a video, take a picture, do whatever, you know, Mm. but I can't talk them into that, you know, I mean, they might give me a little bit of something, but then they always try to buy me something. So, Mm. but I mean, that's, that's part of it too. Just seeing the person's face. Like I love when people open presents and are surprised.
1: Yeah. I mean, not to sound like schmaltzy or whatever, but yeah, that's. I mean, obviously, I like getting gifts as much as the next guy, but like, I get way more enjoyment out of handing a present to someone and watching them open it and just kind of seeing yeah. their reaction.
0: I I definitely agree. Um, so, you know, this week, though, we're going to talk about some dark stuff. So I'm just going to warn <laughs> the audience. Let's just
1: pivot away from the warm fuzzies <laughs> of Christmas. I'm going to warn
0: the audience. We kind of uh, buttered you up, and now we're going to toast you, I guess. I don't know <laughs> what, <laughs> what you'd say, but... It's a little bit different. We're going in a, a different. Well, we direction. are a horror podcast. We yeah. have to
1: stick with our roots here.
0: So yeah, I mean, my my favorite horror uh, horror Christmas movie is Black Christmas. Okay, and the story behind it comes from an urban legend. So this is not necessarily a true story, but it's based on a true story. Even the urban legend. Okay. So this is Zyken. That counts. Yeah, this is like a, one of those Russian nesting dolls. It's like something inside of something else inside of something else. So keep well, we, that talk,
1: in mind. we talk true stories, but we also talk folklore and mythology on yeah. here. Just something that, you know, Yeah, something that has a backstory to it. You just got to see see what the movie comes
0: from. So that's yeah. kind of cool. Okay, for, so if you haven't heard this legend for a while, you know, here's a refresher. Uh, it's about a babysitter. Okay, And this is just one way to tell it, because there's multiple ways to tell this story. Jane was babysitting for the Millers for the first time. The Millers' kids, Bobby and Tiffany, were already asleep when Jane arrived. She was doing her homework at the kitchen table when the phone rang. Hello? Jane asked. But she heard only heavy breathing on the other end. She hung up the phone, kind of disturbed, and walked to the front door to make sure it was locked. The phone rang again. Jane picked up and said, hello? Have you checked the children, said a low voice from the other end. Confused, Jane asked who was calling, but the caller hung up real quick. Fifteen minutes later, the phone rang again, and the caller asked the same question. Have you checked the children? Scared to death, Jane knew she should go upstairs and check on Bobby and Tiffany, but her legs were too weak to safely climb the stairs at this point. She was in total fear. She called the miller several times, but c- couldn't get a hold of them. Next, she called the operator to see if it was one of her classmates trying to frighten her. The operator asked her, her to hold while she traced the call. When their operator came back in line, she told Jane, Get out of the house now. I'll send the police. The calls are coming from inside the house. Just then, she looks up, and a madman's running down the stairs with a knife. The end. All right. Wow. Okay. <laughs> So that's the story, and that's a uh, that's a uh, quite a tale, and that that's called sometimes called the babysitter and the man upstairs, or just the sitter. Okay, mm-hmm. so that's an urban legend. You guys all know what urban legends are. They're like legends that are supposed to take place in modern times, and they're told as cautionary tales. So it's almost like the boy who cried wolf or Hansel and Gretel that we talked right. about last week, but it's. You know, it's it's more updated and modern, you know, and, you know, this was uh, this started making the circuit or the rounds back in the 60s, mm-hmm. which is ironically or not ironically uh, about the time a lot of serial killers started coming into vogue in the news and stuff like that. So these these tales were told just like the uh, the dog tale, you know, where the dog would lick the hand and it was actually a man under under the the bed or a person <laughs> that would hear moans in the in the dorm in college next to them thinking that their friend was having sex. And then they would they'd wake up the next day and it was actually somebody killed them. And they wrote on the mirror, aren't you glad you didn't turn the light on? Stuff like that. You know, creepy, creepy, creepy yeah. stories. Yeah. But, uh, you know, they're, they're urban legends. Most of them aren't based on truth. And, you know, this there are other versions of that. uh, Rather than being tormented by menacing phone calls, now they say the babies, or babysitter is unnerved by what she assumes to be a hideous life-size statue of a clown in the corner, which was kind of the basis for the, uh, the poltergeist clown. Right. Uh, when the mother or father of the children she is caring for calls home to check in, she asks if she can cover the clown statue with a blanket, and the parent informs the babysitter they don't own a clown statue. Bum, bum,
1: bum.
0: <laughs> the statue was really a murderer who attacked and killed the girl before she could escape. A clown statue. Yeah. That's funny. Uh, the caller turns out to be either one of the children or an elder sib- sibling who decides to scare the babysitter as a prank. Uh, the babysitter sometimes gets killed. The babysitter sometimes manage- manages to rescue the children. And the prowler gets arrested by the police. Uh, however, most most accounts I read, the children died. In some versions, when the prowler calls the babysitter, he just makes scary noises like giggling or heavy breathing. Also in this version, when the operator says the calls have been coming from the same house, the phone goes quiet when the operator asks if the babysitter is still there. All they get are some scary noises, meaning the babysitter is getting killed on the phone with the operator. Um And the children are with the babysitter while watching television. The prowler starts phoning them, saying he'll be with them in a decreasing amount of time. Then after they get the news that the calls are coming from inside the house, they hear a door upstairs opening and footsteps heading towards the room where they are. And this is in Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. It's also kind of in Halloween, which we've already reviewed Mm -hmm. and talked about. Uh, So, I mean, it's a very... A lot of a lot of versions, obviously the same tale that was told. And
1: yeah, I feel like that version is kind of you kind of find that in a lot of movies, the, the phone call, the mysterious phone call of either they're in the house or they're looking at the house. Yes. Even like scream, you know, the beginning there, stuff like that. I mean yeah. it's in so you see movies. you see this a lot.
0: Yeah. Now, did you know though, this is actually based on a true story? That's why I'm here.
1: Ba-boom. To learn.
0: So, the urban legend is based on an actual story. So, here's how that goes. The truth is more horrifying, so I'm just kind of warning you out there. Uh, The origin of this babysitter and man upstairs story is believed to be a murder that happened in the town of Columbia, Missouri in March of 1950. It involves an 8th grader named Janet Christman. She had decided to skip a party with her classmates, to babysit for a local family named the Romax, They had a three-year-old boy that she was babysitting, and he was already asleep when she arrived to the residence. Quote, It was kind of an eerie night, recalled Jeanette's friend Carol, decades later in the documentary Killer Legends. I also was babysitting, and I felt uneasy, she said. Reports say that that night in Columbia, the temperature was below freezing, and it was raining and sleeting. Little is known about what happens next, but here's what we do know. Janet Crisman was raped and strangled with an iron cord. The killer was likely someone she knew. Janet tried to call the police, but all they heard on the other end of the line were desperate screams and moans, telling them to come quick before the call hung up. Police were unable to trace the call. Soon after Janet's phone call to the police, Mrs. Romack tried, tried calling to check on how the night was she received a busy signal but thought little of it it was only the romax when the romax came home that they realized what the busy tone had probably been the phone still off the hook while nearby janet lay dead despite the urban legend there's no hard evidence that Jan- janet's killers placed any calls to the romax phone on the night of the murder either from inside or outside the house so it's a true story now Obviously, people added the phone calls mm-hmm. to make it scarier, but they found found her on the living room floor at 1.30 a.m. When they came home, signs of a violent struggle spread across two separate rooms. Thankfully, the three-year-old kid was safe. He slept through the whole ordeal. Local police questioned dozens of men in their search to find the killer, but the most likely suspect was Robert Mueller, a friend of the Romax. Mr. Romack testified that Mueller, 27 had commented on Janet's well-developed form just days before. <laughs> well-developed. Mrs. Romack said Muller had run his hand across her dress two days before the murder. Muller was also known to carry around a mechanical pencil that matched a puncture wound that was found on Janet's body.
1: Stabbed but, her with a pencil?
0: <laughs> apparently. But, well, he choked her.
1: Right. That's what well, the cord
0: was for. Uh, but police and Boones County Sheriff's Department bungled the case against Mueller, and he never was charged with the murder. To this day, the case remains unsolved.
1: Hmm.
0: So that's uh, that's what the serial killer, uh, not serial killer, he wasn't serial killer. That's what the murder actually had this legend pulled out of it. So that was 1950. Ten years later, they added... All that stuff and it just went around. And it, I mean, think about it. That is a cautionary tale. You hear about in the actual news, across papers in the United States, babysitter murdered in this brutal way. Somebody brings this story and tells more of a story and they just start whispering it to different people. And that's how urban legends start. But yeah, pretty much. They're really, I mean, it's it's really just a cautionary tale. Like if you if you have a young child that's gonna babysit for other people, you need to know how safe they are. You right, know. so it's it's an interesting story, and in that that's got that behind it, I guess
1: what well, is neat to see, yeah, like you said, how I mean a tragic story to be sure, but uh you know, people do get sadly murdered all the time, and so it's interesting how that specific one kind of took off and became the legend that it is today,
0: yeah. It's kind of kinda sad too. I mean, you think about it, if it wasn't the 27-year-old, that was a 13-year-old girl. Mm-hmm. It's it's horrible. Yeah. So this uh this legend came out of that, but uh we're here to talk about Black Christmas, which is directed by Bob Clark, and to go along with that story. He said that story influenced him and the writers, but it was also influenced uh the writer whose name was let me see. A Roy Moore wrote Black Christmas, and he was influenced by an urban legend. Uh, that urban legend, and actually a series of murders that took place in West Mountain neighborhood of Montreal, Quebec, Canada, because he was Canadian, and he wrote the screenplay under the title "Stop Me." And the filmmakers made numerous alterations to the script, primarily the shifting to a university setting with young adult characters. But it was it was these murders that took place uh in canada that that actually kind of influenced him as well as that urban legend he right. did he did not know the story that the urban legend was based upon so these murders were basically a guy that comes breaks into a home and kills some young people mm-hmm. in this home so it's you know he kind of combined the two so that's it's kind of so
1: Go Does it state oh, I was going to say how did how did Christmas get involved is that just something that kind of well I mean,
0: it 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 kind of talks about how uh, cuz christmas is just kind of
1: it's not important to the story at all it's just kind of a backdrop really
0: well yeah i mean, I, I think what it is is uh clark wanted to uh with with more when they were talking about this and and writing it they wanted this uh killer to be kind of faceless and nameless and he was wanting they were wanting him to kill young girls Mm -hmm. and that was their entire plan so they put them as a setting in a college setting and they thought you know what better ways to do it during a a break like a christmas break and it's very uh very telling that they use christmas because christmas is supposed to be a time of joy and then when something tragic or or horrible happens it's more jarring you know (laughs)
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the fact that it is on or around Christmas makes it that much worse, I guess. Like, I mean, we talked about this a little bit on our Halloween episode. Like, if that movie would have been as effective as if it was just a movie and not set on Halloween, I think the same thing applies here to this movie. Like, if this was the exact same movie... And Christmas wasn't part of the equation, I mean, it would have still been good, but like for some reason, something about the fact that it's on Christmas just makes it even more unsettling. Yeah. It takes like away you know, all
0: those traditions that we talk about. It's, it's like all the traditions we notice or, you know, we practice with Christmas all
1: have good intentions. Yeah, but you add this like creepy kind of curtain yeah. over it. It's just like, I don't know. It just... It's that weird juxtaposition, I guess. Yeah. Cause like with the little kids choir singing in this movie, it was just, there was a creepiness about it oh, yeah. because you knew what else was going on. Right? Yeah. And so,
0: so more when he wrote this, he called it stop me and he based it on the urban legend, the, the babysitter and the man upstairs. But, uh, he also claimed that these murders in Montreal, which was actually in 1943, influenced him. I could see where this influence came about. So here's those murders. It happened in 1943. And according to the Telegraph, it was perpetuated by a 14 year old boy who bludgeoned several of his family members to death on one Christmas Eve. So apparently, a guy, a young boy, had beat his family to death. Like on just, Christmas Eve, just beat him to death or during Christmas time, it says. Uh, so, so that kind of left an impression on more. So, I think that was the influence of you know the guy having all this anger, and he's you know, he literally in a couple of scenes bludgeons a couple people. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one with the unicorn that's pretty crazy stabs her, but I mean, he's basically beating her with it, right? And you know, like he's pretty brutal in his crimes. I mean, this is pretty horrific for 1974. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, I, I would have to say, you know, he hit, hit the nail on the head when he was going for influences for this movie. You know, the, the legend of the babysitter and the telephone calls and the, you know, the,
1: it's all in there for sure.
0: So, uh, just talking about the movie itself, you know, we start off the very first scene shows this serene house with Christmas lights up, which should be like you said, Christmassy, beautiful. Yeah. But it's not, it almost seems like a ghost house, right? Like it's kind of creepy. And I don't know if you noticed, but there's no moonlight in any of the nighttime scenes. So it's all like dark and the darkness envelops the edges of the, of the frame. Mm -hmm. And then you have that juxtaposed with like the light, pure white snow falling, and the the children's choir singing, and then the next scene, the very next shot starts being the the first POV shots or some of the first POV shots we've seen on film of a killer, you know. Which so this must have popularized them because I know a lot really of did. old
1: movies from back then featured that POV heavily. Yes.
0: Yeah, and th- I mean, this was a 74, but you had like Peeping Tom, which is a little earlier, stuff like that. But uh, I mean, this is considered one of the first slasher movies. I mean, it had a lot of the tropes that were later followed by Halloween, especially mm-hmm. uh, Friday the 13th, stuff like that. So, you know, I mean, it was very influential. Uh, they had to build a special rig. For the guy to climb up the side I was, of the yeah, house. Yeah, I, I
1: was impressed with that when I was watching it. I was like, because you could see, you know, you could see a shadow still. Yeah. Um, and obviously you didn't, like, it was hid well, I guess. I'll put it that way. The camera, and I was like, I wonder how they're doing that. He has to be, it has to be on him, of course, but you don't yeah. see anything in the shadow. So it was really I'd cool. I'd say what they, they did
0: is they, they probably put a light behind somebody right next to him, mm-hmm. but put that person slightly in front so you can't see his shadow and the light
1: probably, there. Probably, yeah. I'm thinking... But yeah, I I I remember, because I mean, I watched it for the first time the other day, and I remember watching that part, and I was like, oh, that's pretty impressive that they're like, he's climbing, and then the camera's coming up with him. I mean, nowadays, it's not that impressive, but 40, however long years ago now, I mean, or 50 years ago almost now. Yeah,
0: you can't erase that kind of stuff like you can now with CGI. I mean, it was, was, everything was practical, and you had to find ways to do it, so... Mm
1: So that was that
0: was really cool seeing that shot for the first time. And I watched Black Christmas after I watched all those horror movies in the 80s. So I'm, I was kind of, I'd say probably late 80s when I watched Black Christmas. So I'm watching it 10 to 14 years later. Mm-hmm. But it still impressed me because the coolest part about it compared to slashers of the late 70s and early 80s, it was more unsettling to me. Like it... It was, and I think Halloween had some of this in, in it, but it had moments of pause and it had moments of, of you know, quietness and it, it lingered on shots
1: longer. Yeah, well, we were talking before when we were watching it about um, there's not really a ton of music in this movie. No. Other than some Christmas carols here and there. And you mentioned kind of the piano yeah. sound cues they use sometimes, but it was a lot of just kind of ambient noise and dead noise, which...
0: Yeah. And which, by the way, the, the the audio for that, they put like keys and forks and stuff on piano wire and then would scrape across it and then play the keys and stuff. So it and then they recorded it, obviously, you know, with actual tape and then would re-record it slower, mm-hmm. at a slower speed. So it, it got that really weird kind of sound that you don't hear a lot in other movies. So the horror, you know, the horror, you know, yeah. <laughs> So uh, the first scene you see when they come in um, are all these girls. And as soon as the cool thing I like about what Bob Clark did with this film (laughs) is, and he actually says this in an interview later on, I can't remember the exact quote and I can't find it right now, but he actually says later on, I wanted to make teenagers and early 20 somethings seem like teenagers and early 20 somethings. They're young adults They have brains. They could think for themselves. Mm -hmm. They're not beach blanket bingo bimbos is what he said. (laughs) Something like that. So he's like, you know, they're not just like, Hey dude. Yeah. (laughs) You know, they, these people actually like could be smart. They could be intelligent. They could be funny. They could be dirty that, you know, and Mm -hmm. you see that all in this first scene. And I, it was a shock to me because I, I was a huge Superman guy. Right. Mm -hmm. I still am. And, Christopher Reeve's Superman and Margot Kidder's Superman I was in heaven when that movie came out. I was yep. very young, but I loved that movie. I love that version that's still my all-time favorite Superman. I don't care what anybody says. Christopher Reeve's Superman, those Supermans, one and two are my favorite. So anyway, with that being said, I was shocked when I saw Margot Kidder come out and like <laughs> bitch and shit and you know, I mean she was just going crazy Foul with her mouth. mouth. Yes. Oh, man, she was smoking, and her shirt was halfway down, and like everything about her. And she was a drunk. The whole movie, she was drinking. Did you notice that? Uh, not as much as the house mother, but... Uh, <laughs> it was pretty close. <laughs> that house mother was... She had a drink in the first shot. She had a beer when they went to the cops. It's like, true. She literally opened a beer. She got drunk when they got home from the cops. They had to put her to bed because she was so drunk. She was an alcoholic. Come on. Yeah. Her and the house mother. So
1: house mother. That was fun. Pulling those hidden bottles out of every every (laughs) which the back
0: of a toilet. (laughs) Keeping it cold. But anyway, yeah. So the cool thing about what Bob Clark did with those characters and with the whole setting of being Christmas was he literally took everything that you would think about about college young college kids and Christmas and kind of flipped it on its head because He made everything unsettling, like the Christmas carols during a murder. Mm -hmm. You know that was unsettling. Seeing those Christmas killers singing while Margot Kidder was getting stabbed.
1: Which I don't know about you, but for me, I feel like little choirs of children singing carols. There's something creepy about it, anyway, to me. I don't know why. I would agree. I can't. We've seen
0: a lot of it in movies, though, like that. Well, maybe that's why. Maybe.
1: But there's just something, and there's certain Christmas songs even that I've always thought. I'm just like, how are these like? Because they just freak me out. I <laughs> I can't name them off the top of my head, but there's a few like classic old standards that I just I don't know. Did it but,
0: Did it creep you out during the Grinch and you hear the little the little Hooville people going
1: Da Whoville, <laughs> creep you out? Maybe just children singing. <laughs> Maybe I'm just <laughs> I don't know. Like I don't know there's just some really uh what's the one famous like uh oh the Trans Siberian Orchestra and I don't know. You can cut all this out if you want but they do a version of a you're Christmas editing. song and <laughs> I know what you're talking about though but I don't know what it is. Dun, 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 whatever that one is. Yeah. That one always creeps me out for some reason. Carol of the Bells. Is that what okay. Dun, 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 I yeah. think I don't know. That might Something be right. Like that. That song always creeps me out. I don't know why. Huh.
0: The more you know about Trent. (laughs) Little kids never sing around him. He's going (laughs) to run in fear. (laughs) All right. So so we have uh, all of these uh, girls in there in the first scene. And you see the house mother. And they're all just like, it's Christmas time. And then they get this call. And the call obviously has happened a couple times before. Because they kind of mentioned that. Oh, it's that caller again. yeah. So... He's not been in the house yet, so that means he was calling from an outside line or something. But Something's he de- he's
1: been—he's definitely been preying on them from for a, afar for a little bit. Yeah, and yeah. then he finally makes his move and like
0: so breaks into the attic. What's interesting about that first call is it's the most jarring call in the movie. Mm-hmm. Like it's the dirty call, is what I like to call it. It's the one where he's talking about eating this and licking that. See you scold. next Tuesday.
1: Yeah You know what I'm talking about
0: Yeah So it's 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 so awkward But it's so Based on what you would expect From a call like that You know like it's Well that plus shocking. the voice he uses Is just
1: Cause he talks in kind of Those weird little like I don't even know how he does it That yeah. kind of voice he uses is Well just I like, do know how
0: he does it You want me to hear it? The hear more it. you know so it was actually two different people playing that one role to get those voices. One was the actual director Bob Clark, and the other one was an actor, Canadian actor named uh, Nick Mancuso. He's actually born in Italy. Um, but anyway, Nick Mancuso would do some of the high pitched and the medium range, but for his low range, what he would do is he would ho- like hoist himself up and be upside down and record it. And then they would record it at a slier, slier, slightly lower range. So his voice got that. <laughs> you know, that thing that you were doing a while ago. I attempted so that, yeah. That's that's kind of interesting that uh, you mentioned that. That's It's, it's kind of funny. But it was jarring. Like he was talking about some dirty, dirty stuff. And then he would go into crying like a baby. And then he'd go into a mother's talking to yeah, him. Yeah, all those
1: all those voices he did were really weird. When I at first I thought it was meant to be actually different people on the line, and then I as I watched the movie, I realized, oh no, he's just supposed to be doing voices. But that's how like different each voice was. I felt yeah. like,
0: and then Margot Kidder gets on there and she picks up the phone <laughs> and she's. Just, I mean, her Unphased. scene is great. She's unfazed by it. And she just starts calling him all kinds of names and doing these one-liners towards him. And he, you know, it's all fun and games till at the very end, he's like, tell, tells her, I'm going to kill you. And then mm-hmm. he hangs up and it's like, they're all looking at the phone like, oh crap. You know? So yeah, that, that first scene is very, very telling for the movie. Like we're in for a very wild ride on this movie to be 1974. Yeah. So, um, Another thing that I really like about that movie, I like the dynamics of the characters. uh, Especially like the point of view shots they have makes him an actual character that you don't see. But like when he does those kills, like the first kill that we see on screen is the one where the girl gets smothered in Mm -hmm. the closet. Very pretty girl, pretty actress you kind of feel bad because, I mean, she had that boyfriend at the very beginning scene and like, you know, uh, it was, it was shocking. And apparently like it really shocked her cause she didn't know like the actor that was supposed to do that from behind. She didn't know when he was going to jump cause they didn't give him cues. Mm-hmm. And that was a first take shot. So her genuine surprise and screaming is a genuine surprise and scream. Cause she thought they were going to cut. Right. And they didn't cut. And then when he was like, strangling her and everything that was like real surprise so i thought that was a cool type thing um i also liked i like the uh the main female character which we all know from romeo and juliet that pretty much everybody watched in high school um her name was uh olivia hussy yeah yeah hussy she's not a hussy though she is not a hussy but she she was this very uh kind of prim and proper lady, but what's cool about her character, I think for this movie, and I absolutely do not think this movie could have been made in America in 1974 is a Canadian film, obviously made in Toronto, but uh, this is a feminist movie. Yeah. Because if you think about it, like it was all female, mostly characters. Uh, She was a final girl. She fought for her life, which you didn't see. I mean, people try to credit alien for that, but this was before alien. 1974 so like you know she was she was at she was a final girl but more than that she was pregnant in the movie and her true. boyfriend wanted her to have an, have the baby and she was like i'm gonna have this abortion i don't want this baby from you and right he was like no you're gonna marry me or you're gonna be sorry and she's like no i'm not going to what and a creep by
1: the way yeah he was peter. a jerk it was peter right
0: hated that guy yeah he Which, was weird looking. How did he scale up? Like he definitely had a glow up with her,
1: <laughs> you know. Like they definitely wanted you to think it was Peter in the movie. Yeah, because even even that brief, because we really don't see the killer at all. But except for one brief shot when he's stabbing that girl with the unicorn, they show him and you like see his eye and the rest of him. Is his, but he has a kind of a similar haircut and similar build. They definitely want you to think it's the boyfriend. He's definitely a red herring throughout yeah. the film.
0: And I mean, which worked out in the end great. So I'm glad he was the one red herring. It wasn't multiple red herrings like you see in a lot of serial killer movies
1: or slashers. Which we were means and I were talking before recording. Um Jess, the Jess, main girl, yeah. Jess. She kills her boyfriend at the end because he's he comes in, she gets chased by the killer and she hides in the basement and all of a sudden Peter shows up and you know, she thinks it's him. We're all supposed to think it's him. She kills him. And then we find out later the killer actually is alive still, and he's up in the attic still. But I was talking with the memes. I was like, do you think that she thought the killer was her boyfriend? Or do you think she – because, like, I don't know if she ever got a good look at him or not when she's running away. She sees his eyeball through the crack in the door, yeah. which was which, an awesome shot. by the sh- way, was when
0: – yeah, it was an awesome shot, which was when – she goes into Barb's room where Barb was brutally the most brutal killing in the movie was brutally stabbed with a
1: glass unicorn. Right? That's Margot Kidder, right? She yes. was Barb. Yeah. Yes. Um so she yeah, she looks up in the crack in the door and sees the eyeball and he's like whatever he says, it's Billy or <laughs> some creepy line. Coolest shot in the movie, in my opinion. Of course, you know, someone in that situation is not going to be thinking logically like us movie watchers are. But like he had brown eyes. I felt like that was pretty obvious in the shot and her boyfriend had blue eyes. And then when he chases her through the house, I don't know if she ever really gets a good look at him or not. He kind of grabs her by the hair and pulls her down for a second. But I'm thinking like did she actually see the killer and she killed the boyfriend? As convenience? As convenience, maybe, <laughs> out of fresh... Because he was kind of hounding Boy, her through the whole movie. That is feminist to its core right there. Or do you think she truly thought her boyfriend was the, the crazy guy killer? I don't know. Food for thought, I guess. I think she thought he was the killer, but... I mean, I, he was I being love, a real... I love your idea. He was being a real doucher or her, a real yeah. domineering and controlling. And, you know, you're going to have... Like you said, you're going to have that baby and you're going to marry me. And maybe she just saw this and she's like, you know what? <laughs> Screw this guy.
0: I mean, what the hell's that guy got to offer? He was a piano con- concert piano student for eight years, by the way. Who still effed up his
1: whatever, audition or whatever he was yeah. doing for those.
0: Smashed his piano. He's probably going to go to jail for smashing that school's <laughs> piano. And Well, he's dead. He's not going to go now. Well, he would have. <laughs> the douche has no job skills, I'm sure. He's just paying... Little Lord Flaunteroy over there playing his piano in the corner for the rest of his life.
1: <laughs> Little, he did look like he had, like, those old English yeah. haircuts, like he should be playing a flute or something. He was, a, he was like, English
0: nobleman that had, <laughs> like, a recessive gene because his face looked so, so weird. But whatever. Okay. Anyway. That's funny. I, I actually... <laughs>
1: <laughs> I actually... uh, Wasn't there a character that, like, from something, SNL maybe, that had, like, that... Look with the hair, and he like played a flute, and he kind of pranced around. Yeah. I can't remember what I'm thinking of. Yeah, I know who you're talking about. Oh crap, that's kind of what he reminds me of. Anyway,
0: <laughs> all right. So Email us if you, you know. know us if you know that one. I thought the dumbest kill in the movie was the uh, house mother because I I mean obviously she should have got killed. Everybody should get killed in this movie, I guess. But was it
1: dumb and like? Execution or dumb in exactly just real, real, I almost said real ability, <laughs> realisticness, both. Like, I think it, because it, I was thinking that too when it was about to happen, I was like, he's gonna like drop that hook and it's gonna like hook her somehow. He's exactly it would what he never because the hook was pointing up here. If anything, it would have smacked her in the face. Yeah, and, and it's actually... one of those
0: thick hooks that aren't sharpened. Yeah, so it's like a hook to pull chain with, which made no sense to me. And why is all that shit up in a they're epic, right. anyway. It's like baby toys, and
1: and he wasn't even that far away from her to like. I feel like get the force needed to even.
0: Yeah, it would have knocked her ass out, and she would have like went all the way down. But like it was cool,
1: but yeah, it was not realistic. Perfectly at all.
0: hooked her. I didn't like that one. That was the only one I didn't like, and that took away from all the real reality of the rest of the film. I thought. Uh, I only- did like the comedy, like when the when she like put her hand on the peace <laughs> naked poster, you know, the buttocks of the
1: naked peace yeah. people. The whole house mother bit was funny and yeah. the alcohol. And then those two guys that show up for the neighborhood watch were really funny and random. And the, um, and
0: the cops making fun of the one cop about fellatio. <laughs> it's a new
1: extension or whatever he said. Yeah. He's like, you couldn't find your ass. if Somebody <laughs> gave you a map. <laughs> the only, uh, the only thing like realism that, Kind of, it didn't really bug me because it didn't take away that much from the movie. But the only thing was, like I told you earlier, was the fact that he was in the house making these calls and yelling, like full on screaming with some of these voices. I'm like, I don't care how big that sorority house is. You're going to hear someone a in a room talking. Like, I know you're on the phone, but you're still going to hear them also screaming through a couple walls, you know? Like, these were
0: landlines too. So is he doing it in one of the bedrooms because he. Didn't- I, he couldn't have taken a phone up there, and I mean, I don't think this guy's a, a lineman. He's not putting phone lines up.
1: Yeah, I don't know. You know, so I, I, it was kind of weird. Well, but it's an old movie, and yeah. stuff like that is kind of suspend you know. belief
0: on certain things. But it, w- I mean, the the voices are so crazy. He's like,
1: yeah, the voices, and then he goes, is...
0: Agnes, what did you do with Billy? Or Billy, what'd you do? Billy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so fucking weird. I'll tell you right now, if I ever answered a phone and that voice was like shouting things at me <laughs> through the other, I would probably shit my pants. Oh, wow. But and see, it, that's what like, I feel like that's almost a product of its time in a way because with nowadays, you know, obviously we can block numbers and not, you know, yeah. answer it or like just, I don't know, cell phones in general almost kind of take away. Like you're talking an old landline phone, just first of all, just ringing in the middle of the night anyway is enough to, I think, creep you out. I don't yeah. know why. Yeah, I guess just getting a phone call when in an hour you're not expecting it is always a little unsettling. Yeah, but then to just to have it, written, and then to pick that up and have that voice come through, yeah, that's
0: freaky. Just the weird stuff. Like he obviously was listening to their conversations because he mentions about the pregnancy mm-hmm. and starts bringing up the baby and all that stuff. And even though he's talking about the the baby agnes which we don't know who the mother is yelling at billy and who agnes is uh you know it, it makes it scarier because it made it personal for that girl so that's why she was freaked out and then it i think that's why that she thought it was her boyfriend at the end you know it's like he's mm-hmm. trying to like freak her out and
1: well that yeah that was one of the things i liked most about this movie was that the killer you don't really know anything about other than just you can maybe piece bits together based on his voices that he does, that he yeah. was probably an abused kid. And this could have been his house. It could have been his, yeah. We don't know. But, like, they literally don't go into any detail or any... I feel like movies now almost are victim to explaining too much everything. Everyone yeah. wants everything explained, which I guess and, it depends on the movie, but, like, for this, you don't need it. He's just a weird, creepy dude that snuck into their basement, or basement, their attic and started living there and started killing people you don't need to know anything else that would almost make it less scary and, feel and like, if you knew like he had
0: no rhyme or reason for why he was killing these people either because it's no. like the first one we assume is the 13 year old girl they find in the park right
1: yeah because the
0: first phone call at the beginning of the movie she was probably already dead yeah because he called every. Exactly. he called after every kill which means the other calls that led up to that one call he might have killed other people before that we don't know and then he ends up in their attic, and it's like a meat meat house in here. I could just yeah. kill any of these people. Yeah. And he starts taunting them after each kill. And I like the idea of, you know, let's just bring up the 2006 remake, the first remake. I don't Which know why they remade seen, this
1: twice. I've not seen that or the new one personally. You have not. I'm going to tell you about it and about why it's not good. The only thing I know, which is my wife said she watched it, she's like, The only thing I remember is they hung eyeballs up as Christmas ornaments. <laughs> yeah. It was it was ridiculous. So they leaned more
0: into the Christmas, sounds like. It was ridiculous. And I tell you why, because for one, the guy had this jaundiced yellow skin and a blue eye, so it made him look really weird. So they went from just having this weird-looking eye to like weird-looking everything.
1: So you actually see him in the... You
0: actually see him, and I'm not going to tell you the whole story in case you watch it, but we get a backstory for who Billy is
1: and who Agnes is.
0: See that right there? And you don't need it. You don't need it, and that's just the like with,
1: problem. It's like with Halloween, the Rob Zombie yeah. one. You don't need that much Yeah, backstory. Rob,
0: you piece of crap. I love your music, but you piece of crap. <laughs> don't give us any kind of exposition at the end to explain and don't give us any kind of backstory to explain because it's scarier when stuff, the less, you know, the scarier it is. I think. Yeah. And I had that Nihilist ending. I talked about this a well while ago. I Nihilist. you want to say Nihilist Nihilist, whichever sure. way you want to say it? Uh, I love those type of endings because it leaves you unsettled walking out of the, the viewing, you know, cause they kind of did like Psycho, which I think Psycho was great, but I think they shouldn't have had the guy explain why the the character of Norman Bates was crazy and what he's doing now. And I think they overexplained it, so I think that was a flaw in that movie actually. And I think this one kind of started to do that with the detectives talking about why the guy killed and this and that. And she was they were they were going to leave her alone to get some rest, which Cop One Hundred One. That's are stupid. Some bad cops. <laughs> she was, she was definitely like traumatized. Yeah. But uh, then it pulls out, and then you, you hear the billy crap again, and then you hear a phone call when you go outside, and you see the cop on the thing hearing Which the ring. Which is the whole end and
1: credits, and it was a very just somber, yeah. creepy end credits. And
0: it, it alludes to he definitely killed her at that point because he's calling again, mm-hmm. right? Or he killed somebody. Yeah. So he's calling again, and it's like, that's that's so creepy man just knowing that something's still there and you know they're not going to catch him and we don't know why we don't know why he's killing i mean it's just loose ends but it makes it creepier
1: i agree i feel like some people would complain that it's just lazy writing to not explain stuff but again not everything has to be explained doesn't mean you're lazy it makes it better
0: i think it's more intelligent yeah. like for the most part i think movies like that seem to me more intelligent than treating your audience like they're juveniles, you know, like I have to explain form this your to you. own, form yeah. your own,
1: uh, story as to why he's crazy. Yeah. It didn't really matter. The fact is he's just a crazy guy. So that's the movie.
0: Uh, I, it's a great movie. That's one of my favorite, like Christmas movies. It really actually, gets you in the spirit. I really do watch that during Christmas and Halloween, and or Halloween. Uh, I like it. um, It's kind of funny. We're going to talk about it. Most horror fans will know this, but if you don't know this, here we go. Bob Clark was a Canadian director, and this was one of his first big underground hits, but his biggest hit of all time would be, go ahead. Christmas Story. Christmas Story. So it's funny that he had this great Christmas horror movie and then a great Christmas nostalgic movie just, what, five years later or less? You know, six years later
1: maybe? They're two pretty big hits. Yeah.
0: And it that's it's funny that I'll watch this and then I could watch the next day a twenty four hour marathon of Ralphie shooting his eye out. Which you're not you're not a big fan of that movie, right? You kinda like it, but kind of No, don't. I don't
1: I don't mind it. I don't think Ian likes it very much.
0: What does Ian like? <laughs> what, what do you like, Ian? If you're out there, Ian. We'll never know.
1: No, I, I like it. I don't it's not it's not a must watch for me every Christmas, which I feel like some people get really offended at that, but like all, it's obviously on every year on TV. So if it's on and I'm not doing anything, I'll put it on. You know,
0: I'll watch all the main classics, and that yeah. I consider that one. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I'll watch Christmas Story. I'll watch Christmas Vacation, Jingle All the Way. I'm all the way in on that one with you guys.
1: Yeah, we talked on the on the last episode our Christmas movies that we watch. Mm-hmm. Um, you forgot about Scrooge on that last episode. You
0: definitely need to go back and give that a watch because that's one of Bill Murray's best. I mean, he's really good in it. Yeah, I need to do that. So let's wrap <laughs> about, this up. What about Die Hard? <laughs> Are you bringing that up seriously? <laughs>
1: Are you a Die Hard? Is a Christmas movie? I
0: like Die Hard, but I don't. I once again don't think it's a Christmas movie. <laughs> it's an action film that's set during. Well, Christmas
1: here's time. not to get into a whole other debate before we wrap things up. But what makes a Christmas movie a Christmas movie? Like Black Christmas doesn't have anything to do with Christmas. So you could say the same about it Die does, Hard. It does, though, because it
0: brings a lot of tropes of Christmas into it and turns it on its head. Just because it's a nihilist Christmas movie. Like, it talks about...
1: But the plot is not about Christmas or anything to do with Christmas, really, other than the fact that they're a sorority on break. I
0: yeah, don't know. But they they shop for each other. They give and receive gifts. They've I'm, got carolers. They've got...
1: I'm in the camp that, I don't know. I think if a movie is set around Christmas, it could be a Christmas movie. I don't think it necessarily has to be So you're Christmas. saying Die Hard is a Christmas movie? I think it is. Shane Black movies are always set around Christmas. Do you think those are Christmas movies? Mm-hmm. Mm. Lethal Weapon? I mean, no. <laughs> no.
0: Because I could watch that movie in the summer and call it a blockbuster. Just because it's Christmas time doesn't mean anything to
1: me. This could be a fun debate for a future episode, maybe next Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel like this is like Christmas is in what a couple days as of listening to this. So I don't know. It would be a fun debate to have, though. So okay. it'd be like a quiz, like bring up Christmas movies, and then we'll just like be like, "Is this a Christmas movie? <laughs> yes yeah. or no?"
0: I really don't know. I mean, I'm <laughs> now. Now you, here you got go. me thinking about it. Well, here you go. Okay.
1: This. So we were talking about. Were we talking about traditions on this episode or was that last week? Weird Christmas um, traditions? Mostly last week, but we did a little bit this one. Well, I didn't mention it in that episode, but a weird Christmas tradition that I started for an unexplicable reason. Inexplicable. I think I messed that word up. Like probably 10 years ago, um, I started watching one of my favorite movies, and you're going to laugh at me, but my favorite movie, uh, Dumb and Dumber. I watch it every Christmas Eve. I just started doing it one year, and I've done it every cent Ever since.
0: I like Dumb and Dumber, but how's that a Christmas? Movie? You just made it a cr- tradition, or yeah,
1: I don't know. There was no rhyme or reason to part. it, okay. but so what do you ask? His Jim Carrey's character Dumb is named Lloyd Christmas, so there's my connection oh my to gosh. Christmas. <laughs> Stretch. There's <laughs> my connection, and there is some snowy scenes when they yeah. go to Aspen. So they do go to Aspen. No, I guess the point I was trying to make is is that these movies that are or are not Christmas movies, I mean, I guess you can make anything a Christmas movie if you watch it around Christmas. The I same mean, way that you could watch a Christmas movie in the middle of summer and I still mean, enjoy is it, is it, right?
0: Is it, is it one of those things like we talked about with horror? If you put horror into it, it's automatically some kind of horror?
1: No, I don't it's think. not
0: quite it. that way?
1: Them so a is not a Christmas movie. I just it was a weird I mean, if tradition I started. A, if they had
0: a Christmas scene in that. Would you say it's a Christmas? Like Ernest like saves, just one scene. Ernest Saves Christmas is definitely a Christmas movie. Right?
1: Well, yeah. It's in the title. I feel yeah. like that.
0: So like that's what I'm saying. Like, does it have to have a Christmas in it for you to see Christmas? Or is Because really if you think about like Lethal Weapon that just has those couple scenes about Christmas and then it's like not there anymore.
1: I don't know, man. It's just that tricky debate, that never ending debate.
0: What's your favorite cartoon? Christmas cartoon stuff? You like Charlie Brown?
1: I'm a Charlie Brown dunna, Peanuts dunna. guy. Dunna. I watch all the specials every dunna Hell. The dancing. Remember the uh video we did in a high school class yeah. where we recreated the uh I speech did. and the dance? yeah. I was the kid that like <laughs> did the head side to side. I
0: don't even remember what I did, but
1: I don't know. She was dumb. But yeah, I'm a. Cla- i am watch all those every holiday: Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas. I'm a big Charlie Brown guy. Um,
0: big Rudolph. You like the?
1: I like Rudolph. It's not one that I have like to watch. The
0: Claymation. What, what's that called? Stop motion. Yeah. No, the company that does. that Rankin Bass. Rankin Bash. Yeah.
1: I like those. I don't. I don't necessarily have to watch them every year. But again, if I catch them on, I'll watch them. Try to think. I mean,
0: let's have our first. Let, let's feel Christmassy right now.
1: Well, it's our last episode until Christmas. Christmas. The last one of the year.
0: The first five people to email us. Okay. okay, On our email, which Which is the horror you know at gmail.com.
1: No. Horror Horror, you know. Know No the
0: No the my bad.
1: Horror you know.
0: It is horror you know. H-O-R-R-O-R-Y-O-U K-N-O-W at Gmail.com. So the first five people to uh, Gmail us and tell us a Christmas story of their past, will get a free horror, you know, sticker in the mail. Awesome. You had to give your address as well. That way we could send that to you. So first five to email us from this episode. And hopefully we'll have our stickers by then. If we don't, we'll just send them to you when they come in. You got another story to end us with Christmas story? We... Um, my favorite Christmas story of all time is when my uh, dad got me a drum kit. And the funny part about it was him and my mom went out and bought a guitar for me. And for some reason, my dad didn't think I was a guitar player. So he took it back without my mom's knowledge, which my dad... Was it it. the
1: stubby fingers? I think so. My (laughs) stubby fingers.
0: My dad did this often to my mom. So he went out and took that guitar back, kept the box or a box similar to the guitar wrapped under the tree, right? And bought me a drum kit. So I didn't have a guitar at that point. I had a drum kit. And Mm my mom did not know what was in that big box that was next to that guitar supposedly <laughs> and he wrapped up a drum kit my mom sadly enough thought it was a microwave for her oh and then when he said it was for me and i opened it up and it was a drum kit she was like what the hell is going on <laughs> and then, and she didn't get her <laughs> microwave so mom i love you i'm sorry <laughs> That my dad was a jerk when Christmas, but it is still one of my favorite
1: stories. Can't to wait know. to heat up these chicken nuggets <laughs> later. Mm-mm. Microwave these left, Christmas cookies. These leftovers won't have to go to waste anymore.
0: <laughs> then a drum kit. Okay? <laughs>
1: and then meanwhile, it's just yeah. all night. <laughs> little Darren's room.
0: Oh, uh, I was made to be more of a drummer than a guitar player. Anyway. <laughs> so what's your favorite story? Get it.
1: Uh gosh. Well, I'll tell two kind of quicker ones. And one is just to be kind of, uh, I don't know, schmaltzy. But, like, I proposed to my wife on Christmas. Yes, I'm cliché after all. After however many years of telling her that I hate clichés and that I was never <laughs> going to do anything like that, I ended up proposing to her on Christmas. Oh, Jensen, he loves you. Yeah. So, obviously, that's got to be up there because... Even though it was cliche, I think it was still surprising to her. Yeah, I think my all of my years of buildup of saying that I don't like cliches threw her to the fact that I would never do it on Christmas. So it kind of worked out a little bit. Wow, I guess I don't know. Yeah. Maybe I got lucky. But
0: well, looking at Jensen and looking at you, you definitely got lucky.
1: I'm the lucky one, yeah, <laughs> for sure.
0: You did a glow up, for sure. Sh- hey, hey, for sure.
1: <laughs> Sorry. My other one, and I don't know why, but it's one that always stuck with me for some reason um, in my weird selective memory. I'm sure there's probably cooler stories if I were to really think on it. But like I remember one Christmas, I was very little, couldn't even tell you how old, maybe five, maybe even younger. I don't know. But it was Christmas Eve and I was in my room supposed to be asleep, you know. But it's Christmas Eve, so I couldn't sleep and I'm up all night and just like excited and, you know, everything else a kid would be on Christmas Eve. And I remember laying there for a long time. Don't know what time it was, but I I kind of, I eventually heard something outside and I'm thinking this is like the middle of the night. Of course, looking back now, I probably went to bed at like eight or nine o'clock. So yeah. it probably felt like it was like two or three in the morning when it probably really wasn't. But yeah. so I was like, I hear something and I'm just like, you know, obviously I'm thinking, oh, shit, Santa's here. Wow, Trent. At five years old. (laughs) (laughs) So I go over to my door and I don't open it, but I kind of, you know, you could still kind of, if you press your head down on the carpet enough, you could kind of see under the crack of the door a little bit. And I look out there and you could see kind of out to the living room from my bedroom Mm -hmm. a little bit, um, at least where the Christmas tree was. And I saw what to me looked like, white gloved hands putting down presents by the tree and like all the lights were off except for the Christmas tree lights so you know you could still see a little bit and I'm thinking like I'm thinking I saw Santa in my house putting presents down which who's to say I didn't because I never did open the door I went back to bed and I just was like I don't know Uh, it was probably my mom (laughs) if i had to put money on it so your mom had white gloves it probably was just one of those things that's like in your mind i'm in my mind gloves. or like you know it was dark and it's like a
0: weird ghost story right now
1: well i just i've always like and i don't want to you know that's why i think christmas is awesome because of believing in things like that and it's i'm magical. Not, i'm not here to say what's right or wrong i'm not saying you know you can or can't believe in people or what's real or not real but I just remember seeing that and, and carrying that with me for a long time. And, um, you know, again, probably was my mom because I learned in later years that she always had a habit of, like, waiting until Christmas Eve to wrap all of her presents. So I'm sure she was just up late and finally putting them out under the tree. Yeah. But I don't know. It was always just kind of a cool memory that I had for a long time and thinking that I saw Santa. and well, That's pretty cool. So And, again, who's to say I didn't because I didn't ever I mean, actually – Open the door. I think
0: I actually went a long time believing in Santa. Like, I went a long, long time. Well, I did
1: because of that, yeah.
0: I don't know what grade it was in, but I was way too old to believe in Santa Claus, I think. And, you know, my other friends around school probably argued with me a lot over this. Yeah. So, yeah. So, that just means we're more jolly. There's nothing wrong with that.
1: Yeah. Bah, humbug, Ian.
0: Yeah. Ian, Ian's had more story to this and I'm sure he didn't tell us. I'm kind of glad he didn't because I don't know what's going on with him, but we're going to have to cheer <laughs> him up right, right before Christmas this year. Santa
1: needs to pay him a visit.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, that's, that's all I had for black Christmas. And that's our two Christmas episodes in a row. Hopefully in the new year, we'll have some cool stuff for you. So yeah. check us out on Instagram, Facebook, you know, all the socials. What else we Twitter, got? Twitter,
1: TikTok.
0: We're pretty... We're going to have to start putting more videos on TikTok because we're getting lame on that. But we, we'll start.
1: We're fairly active on Twitter at the moment. We need to be better, but we'll get there.
0: We'll probably get a website up eventually. We definitely are going to get a merch store. We're going to have these stickers. So we got some stuff in the works. Hopefully we'll have some in the new year, have some uh, guests on, you know, local guests and maybe... Some non local guests. I've got some people in mind that I'm going to try to get on here. So we'll see how that goes. But anyway, you know, please follow us and share and like and heart and love and everything you need to do for us to get bigger and better uh, because we need our name out there. It's only, you know, I don't want these fake likes like a lot of podcasts do. I don't want share for shares all the time and stuff like that. Well, want, hey,
1: hey, hey, don't alienate us now. We just, no, don't. I'm just,
0: I'm just saying, like, I, I'm not trying to like beat a, an algorithm. I'm trying to get what we say out there to people to listen to. So that's because I'm doing this for fun. Yeah.
1: So. And hopefully we're cool enough people that we're fun to listen to. I don't know.
0: I don't know if we're cool or not, but we think we are. We definitely think we are. And that's <laughs> half of it right there. That's half the battle. All right. Well, Merry Christmas, guys, and a Happy New Year from the guys at the Horror You Know Podcast. I'm Darren. I'm Trent, and we will see you later. Merry Christmas. See you next year. (laughs) With the shadows dance. Evil will rise. The world between the living and the dead is thin. So now is the time to let. Oh, where do you go?